0: Namaste
1: So now it's time to take up the subject of Ramana's concept of the chit jada granti which is the basis uh, on which ego the ego system becomes embodied <clears throat> Chit of course from sat chit ananda means the intelligent awareness of the real self that has been uh, diverted into the plane of representation in other words, the I has uh, emanated the I-thought and then the whole plane of the potential of thinking of representing reality that's all the world is—is is a representation of reality, in in the form of signifiers that take the the uh, the embodied form of uh, images and of uh, of words and uh, numbers, mathematics, logic. So, the the plane of uh, of consciousness, once it enters the plane of representation, then uh, is becomes creative on the on the plane of uh, manifestation. But once the chit does enter uh, the, the the connection with representation, it feels like a ghost, so that it must actually. Enter into the form. R- Ramana says he, the, the chit grasps the form, it identifies with the form, the body, right? And it knots itself to it. The word granthi means a knot. So that it becomes difficult then for the chit, which has now identified with the body to pry itself loose from the body. That's why liberation is so difficult. It's identified with it and it is knotted to it through its attachment. Now the knot becomes tightened and more complex and difficult to pry loose if that embodiment is accompanied at an early stage by trauma. Okay. There are two types of trauma, shock trauma and developmental trauma. The shock trauma is an acute experience of, of something that is uh, is unexpected, is uh, deleterious, is uh, frightening as a result perhaps of uh, abuse or of an accident or a child is born in a war zone and there are shocking things that happen But they are temporary events that leave memory traces of of shock that can trigger a a recurrence of that kind of of a feeling of being shocked if another experience similar to that occurs later on and can bring one back into a regressed state such as one was in psychologically at the time when the shock happened. The earlier in one's life that it happens, the more uh, of an impact it has on the development of the ego. So if the, uh, the mother is shocked during pregnancy, in the interuterine phase, if she is not protected and well cared for, if uh, if she undergoes some trauma herself, that will be communicated to the fetus, and and the the shock will already be there before birth. And of course, birth trauma itself, especially if it's the uh, the kind of births that most people have in hospitals in the West, and uh, and it is especially if it's a C-section. Or a forceps delivery, or something that is uh, the result of uh, uh, of of the uh, the medical profession's intrusion into the natural process, then there's a shock. But much worse than these kind of phenomena that are usually very short uh, lived, uh, and and can be recovered from fairly easily with the proper kind of care and attention and uh, uh, proper upbringing and explanation at age-appropriate uh, in ways and times, uh, the, they, can, they can be uh, brought to have a very minimal impact on the development unless there are repeated shocks that then become chronic rather than acute. But the worst kind of shocks are the developmental traumas and these are the traumas that are produced by parental abuse, neglect uh, and, uh, and the dysfunctional family system that the child may have to endure in which the child is simply not given the amount of love, attention, attunement, and all of the other vital needs that the child has. And again, the earlier that it happens, the more uh, of a long-lasting and, uh, let's say, a whole body, whole mind effect it has on the growth of the individual. And it can, uh, if the trauma is severe enough, it can stunt the person's growths uh, severely. So, unfortunately, in this period we're living in, there is probably more shock and developmental trauma than ever before in history partly because of the technology itself you know pe- babies didn't have to worry about getting into car crashes uh, when they're with their parents or or uh, airplane problems uh, turbulence all of the things that people have to go through let alone crime and war with massive explosives and Um, migration from territories that are invaded, and all of the, I don't have to list them all, but all of the many kinds of difficulties, plus the uh, almost inherent dysfunctional family that most children are born into, unfortunately. and, uh, and uh, And just the fact that the parents are generally too busy earning a living uh, to, uh, to pay enough attention to the children and because the parents were generally uh, th- sufferers from developmental trauma in their own childhoods, they can do nothing but pass on that trauma if they haven't healed it before giving birth to the child. So we have a situation where the, the granthi, the knot of the chit to the jāda, the insentient the body uh, provokes a, a, a massive disorganization. And not just to the physical body, but to the pranic body. <clears throat> and, it's, uh, and, uh, and to the capacity for the shakti to function. Now there are three kinds of shakti that are spoken of in uh, in the uh, Vedantic uh, perspective. There is the prana shakti, which is the vital life energy that literally enables the, the cells to thrive and communicate and for the organs to function and the organ systems to function coherently and co- in coordination, the endocrine system with the nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. And if the pronic system is disorganized, then you're going to get a person who is in a very braced kind of musculature or very limp and uh, unable to function at all or just very dysregulated. They, they, won't have, they won't be able to digest food. They'll have irritable bowel, leaky gut. They'll have all kinds of symptoms in their body to whatever extent the pranic uh, shakti is, is disorganized and dysregulated and it can be cut off at different points and uh, that can require acupuncture to try to uh, to cross the gap of meridians of the nadis uh, of uh, the flow of of the pranic energy through the body when it's cut or deviated or can't go into certain organs then this can create all kinds of uh, of illnesses and, and uh, nervous conditions, let's say. Uh, so there, then there's also the kundalini shakti, which will get uh, uh, stuck in chakra one and won't be able to rise, or stuck in chakra two, or stuck in chakra three, or in all of them, but it won't be able to rise higher because it's literally knotted to uh, the conditions Uh, of those chakra levels in which the trauma took place and that that it cannot complete and then move upward to higher states. And there won't be a receptivity for the Shiva shakti, the shakti pot that comes from the the self to guide and direct and ultimately uh, help in the liberation of consciousness back to its origin. So, we have a situation today where almost everyone suffers from one level of trauma or another, and, uh, and if we don't understand that, then we're not going to be able to, um, uh, to, to heal or to get beyond the ego system into the soul and into the, um, into the final phase of development, Maybe you can erase it. That might make it faster. Can I erase all of it? Yeah. Thank you. So, the worse that the uh, trauma that the parents uh, went through in their childhoods, the more that will be additive to the trauma that the, uh, the child directly experiences, because they will, they will get the results of the trauma in the way they are related to and projected upon by the parents and the siblings and, uh, and the whole extended family system if there is one. And so uh, there is a, uh, uh, a vulnerability then to all kinds of further triggers to uh, to bring back and to cumulate the effect of these different shocks into a single uh, relationship to life that diminishes one's aliveness in in possibly such a severe way that the will to live is completely broken. So let's look at these. Uh I've made a little uh, graph of this and this is where I may need some help. So, I want to talk now about what I'm calling the seven dominoes of the double death-drive. There are, in the uh, gradual upbringing of the child, different needs, vital needs, that appear at different ages. And uh, if they are not met, then they will either have immediate uh, effect upon the next developmental level, which can then either be delayed or, or not achieved, or it, they will be affected. And so if there is a, a trauma at the first level of the vital need, it will be a domino that will pull down all the others. If if you have a non-traumatized early phase, then maybe only two or three dominoes will go down, but not all seven. But if they all go down, you've got a major problem on your hands. Uh, And some of the effects of these traumas will not appear immediately. Uh, You can have a trauma in early childhood that won't appear until adolescence, but the effect, latently, will be there and then, perhaps because of adolescence and emerging sexuality suddenly, the trauma uh, takes its toll in a very visible way which can destroy someone's life. So, let's try to pin all of these down. So, we'll, we'll make these in columns, so we have four columns, and we'll write down the different vital needs, the survival strategy, or SS, that the, the child adopts, the unbearable conflict that can't be resolved, and the attachment-detachment-equilibrium-protection tactic, or adept, which is required by the, uh, the child to, to make it in the world uh, despite the handicap, let's say, of the trauma. So it shows how the, the, the individual either gets around the trauma, uh, tries to counteract it, or compensate for it, uh, or just uh, uh, falls into it and, uh, and, and deals with, uh, with the, the distortion and the, the lack that the trauma uh, produces. The reason I call it the, the double death drive here is that the same vital needs that are required to raise the ego to a functional status are also required for the upper death drive if you want to go beyond the ego to the soul and the uh, liberated self. But in, you, you, will, you will find that then it will have to, uh, uh, to be a, a different relationship. In the beginning the ego is needing, or the chit, in the ego phase, is needing to relate and connect to the body and to the parents. Because they are the the figure that first meets the vital need. So the first vital need is connection. The, The child needs to know that it can safely connect to the body that it's going to be nodded to or it will never be able to fully embody itself and it needs to know that it can connect to the mother uh, safely or it will uh, not be able to bond and uh, if it can't bond either to its body or to the mother then it has a real problem so I'm going to let Purusha write the rest of it out there thank you sir so the survival strategy uh, is to foreclose connection. You can, you can write this with whatever shorthand you want. <clears throat> and to be as invisible as possible. If you are not wanted in your family system, if you were born as, a, as an unwanted uh, interference to the parents, the mother is not going to connect to you, so your connection as a as a child depends on the mother's willingness to connect to you, and if she's not, uh, then uh, there's no way that you can uh, you can make it uh, in the body. It takes two to tango, right? So uh, your your survival strategy will be to be as, uh, as, as little a problem as, as possible to the mother to, to, uh, to pretend you don't even exist and, and so this creates an unbearable conflict because there's a desire to exist so uh, let's just put it in a phrase I will die if I feel alright, because the the child wants to feel the mother's love but the mother is not going to be giving it and so it's going to feel totally heartbroken and devastated and it can't bear that and so it has to close its heart immediately before uh, it makes a connection and can never get its life going so uh, it, the 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 feeling that comes which we can also write in there is uh, I will never fit in. I am always going to be on the outside looking in. All right? so yeah, but you can just say, uh, 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 never fit in. Uh, that's probably enough for that. So, and on the pranic level, when the trauma happens this early, there is damage to the auric field. It's not just the body, because the the, the, the soul can't really fully enter into the body. It's The body doesn't accept it because uh, the mother's love is not given to the body and the body identified with the mother has to reject that energy. And so there is auric field damage and, uh, and, and as I said before, pranic decoherence. There will be other symptoms like a hypersensitivity to any environmental pollution, electromagnetic field pollution uh, uh, to to any uh, even very subtle thought waves that are directed at one. And one is always going to be braced and in a defensive mode because uh, one, one is, feels like one is uh, impinging in a world where one doesn't belong and doesn't deserve to live. So how does one deal with this? The adept approach is to then create a, a counter-identity which would be pride in being a loner. Okay, that would be the first. Uh, I'm going to be a rock, I don't need love. And one will counteract the fact of not having been attended to and loved by the mother and, and the father probably as well by taking pride in being a rescuer and a caretaker for other people. <clears throat> but another way that one will, will uh, have an adept uh, tactic that's a slightly different one, is that one will tend to become very rigid, very rule-based and role-identified so that you don't have to feel. Everything is according to the rule book and your heart doesn't ever have to enter into any of your relationships. It says here that I'm supposed to do this And, and so you act according to formulas, but not according to to your heart, because it's too painful. And then another uh, response uh, in, uh, of the adept uh, possibilities is to uh, become an avoidant personality and choose to avoid relationships uh, with other people by uh, creating either an introverted intellectuality so that one may become a mathematician or a scientist or focus totally on some intellectual problem you need to solve that doesn't require you to relate to other people at all Uh, or you will choose another strategy uh, or tactic which is to become a pseudo-spiritualizer you will find refuge in fantasy worlds. You will channel alien saviors from the Pleiades. Uh, you will uh, find yourself uh, a- able to uh, to deal with otherworldly beings, but not beings from this world. And uh, and the other way, of course, is to simply get lost in, in the internet, in in relationships and chat rooms and all of those kinds of things and to relate to people at most uh, in the most superficial ways with one-night stands and as anonymously as possible so one never connects or gets connected to by others. Can anybody here relate to this trauma? it's not that uncommon, is it, these days? Uh, and and it used to be that mothers were protected so that this trauma wouldn't happen. And now, of course, there there's nobody caring for the mothers, uh, and the mothers don't have the time or the energy or the understanding of how to take care of the children. And they may not want them. They may be accidents. And they, they may well be uh, children that... Uh, will eventually even be put up for adoption. And and uh, then this becomes even more uh, of, a, of a proof of that I'm not wanted. And the, and the traumas can become irreparable. Yeah?
2: It is, uh, thank you. Um, this unbearable conflict uh-huh. of uh, I will die if I feel. and you said it's the conflict of the desire to die and the desire to live. The desire to live is, is simp- simply the upper death drive, it's just being alive, it's not an instinct per se, it's just the soul still <clears throat> feeling connected to the Self and the desire, the desire.
1: Well, it's a drive to live, there is a drive to live, sure. There, there is a, a, an energy of, of life, you don't want, because you're identified with a body, you don't want the body to die, mm-hmm. but you feel you may have to let it die because nobody else is there to support your life. And so you minimize your life energy. To be as little a burden on the other, so they won't abandon you or reject you or kill you or whatever your your imagination presents to you. So uh, the life drive then becomes very weak.
2: And when you mentioned, I don't know if I understood it accurately, but when you said something like the body doesn't accept the energies of the soul yeah. because it's identified with the mother, I yeah. Guess. It, see, it makes the bo- body almost seem intelligent or autonomous in some way. Can you explain
1: Yeah, that? well, the intelligence, the body does have an intelligence, on, uh, and not only on the cellular level, but uh, the, the ego's consciousness does go into the body mm-hmm. sufficiently, so that if there is life in the body, the body will also uh, uh, have that intelligence uh, projected into it from the ego consciousness. And this can produce things like autoimmune disease where where the body cannot accept things that are actually good for it and turn it into bad things, uh, and all kinds of other symptoms that are related to a a feeling of ambivalence toward life.
2: Mm -hmm. How how then does a mother, who always wanted a bonding with her baby child, Mm but couldn't be there at a
1: certain time. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, things, yeah, yeah. But
2: it's always one of mm-hmm. The sense is that the child as an adult is very independent, which is of course what the mother wants the child to be mm-hmm. as an adult. So does everything to allow the child to, mm-hmm. Be, mm-hmm. to be, to grow, mm-hmm. and to be herself. Mm-hmm. So at what, what point does a child bond and if the child didn't bond with the mother at early childhood, can the child-adult bond later, or is it just too
1: late? No, it can happen, but it'll depend upon the level of, of trauma and the resentment that the child may hold toward the mother whether it's deserved or not. The mother might not have been able to be there because of, of things out of her control, not because she didn't want to be, but still, from the child's perspective, mom wasn't there and I'm not going to be there for her now. But, uh, but the later in life that that happens, the more likely it is that it can be overcome and forgiveness and understanding can happen and there can be a bond. Okay? But the more of these vital needs are not met throughout childhood, then the harder that will be.
3: Yeah. Why, is it, why is it said that uh, one gets to choose, like, uh, its parents, its destiny, to, to, in, with ascension purposes? So why, mm-hmm. it's like, inevitable, this trauma? Because you, you decide to go through, like, if I decided to pick my mother, like, wow, I took my time, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure, but you don't decide freely, you decide because there's karma with that mother. And what if you have to be born to that mother because you killed her in another life? Well, she may not want to connect to you and you're going to have to endure that because you know you deserve it. So a lot of these choices are not made like voluntarily, oh great, I'm going to have a great mother, but I know I'm going to have to endure this pain. But that pain itself can be the thing that forces you to find God because you can't handle life without that. And so it ends up being a blessing.
3: So, how, how to blame the mother, if she also doesn't yeah. understand?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it, you sh- I'm not saying you should blame the mother. Uh, but the child does blame the mother. Not that it should, but the, the child can't help but feel that, uh, uh, well, it blames itself first. It it has a shame-based personality that blames itself and then it counteracts that with a pride-based personality that's angry and blames her. Or blames the father or blames somebody. So that it can then function with this counter-identity and be able to continue its existence right? by projecting out The shame onto the other, shame on you for not taking care of me, rather than I am bad. But for a baby, I feel bad means I am bad. Okay, there's no difference. If I feel bad, then I I will decide that I am worthless and, and shouldn't survive. And then even if I do survive because I created an adept... Uh, counter-personality it's always going to be collapsible back into this state of I I can't live and I don't deserve anything and uh, I want to die Okay? The counter-personality will want to kill but the shame-based original personality will want to die both will be there
3: So will yogic parents will live above or live upon like namaste they are both growing and they serve each other while ascending and not having that sense of responsibility one from the other?
1: I don't know any yogi parents, but uh, that might be the case. Uh, You see, I I think uh, the karma that everyone has in this last lifetime in Kali Yuga is very heavy. And so very few escape uh, having parents who have some negative karma with the child and the child is going to have to get the backlash of that.
2: Hmm. Just a question. For an infant, is there any difference between spiritual or mental or psychic and physical pain? Like, are those experiences different things? Or no, because there's not that cognitive function, let's say hunger pains will be experienced as psychic pain as well,
1: or...? Yeah, it is all psychic pain. But uh, it, if, the, if the child can put it into the body, it becomes more bearable than if it's in the, the mind or in the emotional, uh, the Manomaya Kosha rather than in the Anomaya Kosha. Because uh, you, can, you can go to doctors and they'll try to help you and you'll feel like you're getting some connection or attention from a doctor or a therapist, uh, although a psychotherapist obviously would come in usually much later, uh, but you, you would find that, uh, that having it in the body makes you able to function a little better in the mental level.
2: There's are six more to go. <laughs> um, but this has masochism written all over
1: it. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. It's not coming later. Uh, it'll come later also, but this is in its most massive masochistic form, right here. You got it. If you had a mother who wasn't there for you in uh, infancy, because she was too much in her own grief of whatever, uh, you're gonna feel like you shouldn't have been born altogether, and, uh, and uh, you're gonna uh, have uh, an antagonistic relationship to, to feeling good. You're going to say, happiness is for weaklings. I, I am a stoic, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to maximize my ability to take it uh, uh, so that uh, I can at least justify my existence uh, by, by not uh, causing anyone else to suffer on my behalf. Well,
2: that's
1: right. Uh, <laughs> QED. Yes?
3: Um.
2: It seems like, you know, this is where we're going, this is like victimization in a sense. We're living in a world right now where downward spiral is caused by, like, this chronic victimization, and I did some work where the answer was, like, deep compassion for the person who did what they did, and I was able to get through what I got through, and so were the other people in the room, it seemed like, and many others. But when we talk about this, I mean, some real heavy, heavy stuff, where the auric field was damaged, and this was damaged, what would be the healing
1: for that? Well, one, one has to have a relationship uh, in which you are able and willing to receive unconditional love. The problem is love becomes a threat, because then you have to feel all of this heartbreak that, you, that you're pretending you don't feel and that you're tough and you're a rock and you don't need anything or anyone, but you really do. And so to open that up and let yourself receive makes you vulnerable. And then you're going to have to feel all the pain that you repressed if you're going to release it and then be healed from it. So it takes a lot of courage and a lot of skill uh, of a therapist or or an environment to be able to uh, help you to deal with uh, the the interim levels of pain that you're going to have to bear in order to finally feel like, okay, I'm, I'm, I have a right to live and to thrive and to love and be loved and to grow and to become liberated. Right? Okay. Well, if one sur- survives uh, that one, then we'll go to the second one. The, uh, the attunement trauma so your your mother may have been uh, you know happy that you were born, but for some reason or other, she couldn't attune to you. There wasn't a good rapport that was created. Uh, and uh, and and that can also be for a lot of psychological reasons that the the mother has, which are not even conscious for her. <clears throat> but if the mother isn't able to attune to you, you will end up uh, not being able to attune to, uh, to yourself, to your own needs. And so uh, y- you, will, you will end up, uh, your, your survival strategy will be foreclose the expression of your needs. Because she wasn't able to attune to them and, and respond to them anyway in an accurate way. And you will limit your needs, so you can put, foreclose them, but also uh, limit them. You will foreclose the expression of them, so nobody knows you have any needs. You limit them, you ignore them, you become numb. Again, it's a stoicism, it's not necessarily masochism, but it's close. And you will suppress the desire to bond with another, to attune with another person, because that will re-trigger the trauma. So the conflict will be this uh, uh, this desire uh, to to express the needs, but the fear that if I do it, I'll be abandoned. Okay. So if I express, I I get abandoned. You can put that there. And uh, so this results in a profound resignation. And, uh, and, and a continuing but hidden grief and loneliness and deadness it, that's different from your, your connection with the body because you can physically survive here without producing symptoms but there's an emotional feeling of loneliness and an inability uh, to, uh, to be attuned to people so you can you can be in an environment in which you uh, y- you feel like you belong, but somehow it it, uh, it will never uh, be able to satisfy. It will never be able to produce uh, a sense of uh, of, uh, of of that. Oh, everything is okay. I'm taken care of. So again, the adept response that counters it will, will be, I become strong, controlling, successful, and not needing uh, to attune to anyone. Hmm. And so you can, you can choose any of the personality styles if you have the att- attunement trauma you can be a Vulcan, of course, or a Kali, uh, you can be a Wacko, you can be a, uh, uh, a sweet molasses, because all of them are really strategies to avoid a deep attunement with another person. Right? So, they, you can, you can take any of those, but they will they will all lead to uh, to continuing sense of alienation. So you could either choose to be the strong silent type, you could write that there, or you can be the highly talkative type, okay? Because people talk in order to avoid relationship. If I talk, then uh, I don't have to listen to anybody else. I don't have to attune to them. And I can talk about something superficial and rattle on and then leave and uh, never have to deal with the other person. Like that famous Hollywood stereotype, uh, the guy talks about you know his acting in the film, and then he says, "But that's enough about me. Let me hear from you. How did you like my last film?"
2: <laughs>
1: so you can avoid attunement very easily if you use these techniques. So the person who is uh, who is not uh, able to attune also cannot remain uh, with follow-through on what they're doing. They'll drop the ball. They'll lose interest in their projects. Uh, they, they, they will end up uh, uh, sputtering out and, and forgetting what they uh, were interested in doing and why. And, uh, and usually this, uh, the lack of attunement will be somatized so there'll be a lack of attunement with your body, with your digestive system. You'll end up with eating disorders. And, uh, and it can either go on the anorexic side, which means, I don't need to eat, I'm, I'm powerful, or the need to constantly eat in order to fill uh, that loneliness that comes from the lack of attunement. So uh, this, this becomes a uh, a major uh, uh problem that one can focus on their 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 diet and their digestive system rather than their heart and and what's going on at a much deeper level of pain than uh than than simply the digestive tract uh also one will tend to uh, uh to, to kind of take the Mick Jagger approach of always being unsatisfied I can't get no satisfaction and will end up trying to hoard things and, and to have as many jouissance supplies as possible so you never feel like you're gonna run out of of being taken care of uh, the, the person with this trauma also will be much more attuned to animals than humans and will often have much deeper relationships with their pets than they will with any human being and they'll often become obsessed with taking care of stray animals making sure they get a good home where they are attuned to uh, but not be able to uh, attune uh, to others to create a good home for themselves Okay, I think that covers that one pretty well. Does anyone relate to that one?
2: Um.
1: Have we got uh, two for two for a lot of people here? Okay. Uh, Yes.
2: Is there also like a a desperation for
1: a two? There is a desperation, but also that's part of the conflict that you're afraid of being rejected if you try. And so uh, you're going to end up in a kind of a paralysis state.
2: If the first domino falls, do you not make it to attunement? Are you too preoccupied in the connection?
1: It's probably going to prevent you from having the the attunement also, yeah. That's the problem. And if you have the first one, you're probably going to have most all of them. Mm -hmm. Could you
2: describe the nuances between connection and
1: attunement? The connection is actually your right to exist even. So, it, it makes you uh, minimize your footprint uh, in, in the body and in relationships to others and in, uh, in uh, you, the feeling that you have a right to take up space and to disturb the universe, as in the J. Alfred Prufrock poem by T.S. Eliot, right? So, but in the attunement, it's more about that nobody cares about me and, uh, and I don't really care about anyone else because uh, I, I know that they won't ever get me. And so you can live your life but you're more going to be isolated and in a, a state of uh, not so much a rock but you'll, you will be more sensitive with the attunement but you will, you will feel that there's an impossibility of being able to relate to anyone else in a way that is satisfying. Okay. Hmm.
0: The uh, foreclosure of the expression of your needs—it mm-hmm. seems uh, similar. How does that differ from like being a rescuer, for example?
1: Well, you may be a rescuer, uh, but you—you will—you uh, may not. Also, you may just not express your needs and not relate to other people either. You so you can end up uh, uh, simply. Uh, uh, living a life, like I say, connected more to animals, or connected more to the kinds of uh, things you're doing in your life, but but not having any kind of a deep connection with anyone else. Okay? Yeah?
2: Along with the um, understanding of the black blanche, like wouldn't all of these, or when we go through them, if we'll talk about them, always... Um, The ego will always express both sides though, meaning, I might not want to take a a footprint, but I'll make sure I stomp when I come into the meditation hall.
1: Yeah, that can be, yeah. Both sides of them can be there. Because there's always a shame side and a pride side. Because you have to try to compensate for the fact that uh, you don't feel that you uh, deserved to be attuned to or to exist. And the other side, I deserve it, it's the other who doesn't, right?
2: Hmm. I assume also that at another level the archetypal self can come into play meaning if somebody is attracted to animals it might have this pathological element but they
1: also may be like a horse whisperer Oh yeah, sure. It can, it can be turned into something very good and, and very amazing. Uh, so the, the trauma doesn't necessarily uh, stop one from growing. In fact, you may develop even greater sensitivities in the areas that you can enter into and attune to. But still, you're, you're, you're in a kind of a ghetto of I can, I can whisper to the horses, but I can't whisper to my partner that I'm living with because, uh, you know, that person won't get it, but, but the, the horse will. So uh, there's still a kind of a sadness that's always going to be carried and an avoidance of situations in which one believes that one's not going to be able to be attuned to. Okay, so the third one is trust. And, uh, and this comes when you uh, have uh, parents who uh, demand that you be what they want you to be and don't allow you to grow to discover what you want to be. And the more that they manipulate you to try to want to, to be uh, their trophy, or to be the ballerina that mommy didn't get to be, or to be the lawyer that daddy wants you to be, or the businessman, or whatever, uh, then uh, you, you will... Uh, you will not be able to trust them uh, and then you will not be able to trust that anyone else uh, is there for your interests but they have an agenda where they want to control you and, uh, and so you're never going to be able to be in a state of interdependence with anyone else because it, it will mean that uh, you're going to be under their power under their control and you won't be able to be authentic So the conflict is that uh, if I trust, I'll be betrayed. And because the child was rewarded for becoming what the parents wanted them to be and punished for failing them, or at least rejected and neglected if they didn't, you know become uh the little actor or the little dancer or the little uh guitar player or violinist or whatever the the parents wanted uh you to be uh then uh, either you submit and you you be you pretend that you want what they want you to want uh or uh you you end up uh uh Rebelling and and becoming more of a uh, uh, of the opposite. So the adept will be uh, that you you tend to become evasive and manipulative yourself. You won't show your cards to anyone because you don't trust them. You will act as if you care. Uh, But you don't really care about anybody because you feel nobody cared about you and what you really wanted. They only cared about uh, having you fulfill their desires. And so you get good at living a lie and at doing what uh, you think others want you to do or... Uh, you get good at becoming the one who controls others and uh, and determines uh, uh, other people's destinies it, usually in one of two ways either you become very seductive and you conquer people in that way or you become just very overpowering you become a bully you become overbearing in some way and you take up uh the space and people like this will end up either building a business empire or uh, they will uh, uh, coach others to be successful in life Uh, they and people in this mode will become obsessed with their personal image and they'll construct an ideal false identity based on fantasy They'll post a lot on Facebook or some other site to show off their prowess, their depth, their success, their beauty Uh, and they always have to come out one up and so they will either focus on making money or becoming stars or have some other prestigious position and be as grandiose as possible to make the other feel small and uh, and they'll demand special treatment, and the main thing they will always do is pretend that they're happy when they're not. Anyone can relate to this one.
0: Okay. Few. Hmm. Um, what was the survival strategy on this
1: one? The survival strategy was to foreclose trust and interdependence. So you always have to be the boss, either through seducing the other or overpowering them, basically. The fourth one is autonomy. Again, these are, are nuances. They're similar to each other, but they are different and they end up showing up differently in your life. And this is when you have overprotective parents. They're not so much telling you what to do, but they're telling you what you shouldn't do, because it's too dangerous. Uh, and so they're, they're making you afraid to be autonomous. And, uh, and then you, you foreclose individuation as your strategy. Because you're afraid of of becoming someone or something that uh, will will get in trouble, or or will be uh, rejected, and uh, the, because uh, the you get the message from the parents, don't grow, because you're not able to. You don't you don't have the power to become autonomous. You 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 tend to want to be needy and, uh, and to remain in a, a kind of a submissive state or you will rebel so you're, you, you have to make a choice the conflict is, if I win I lose okay, because if you win, meaning you become autonomous you're going to lose the love of the mother because she wants you to stay small and belong to her she doesn't want you to grow and be different, because then she'll feel her lack. She brought you into the world to be her little teddy bear. And so you, if, you, uh, if you grow too much, you lose her love. And so their, their inner feeling is, if I show you how I feel, you'll reject me, you'll abandon me. So then, uh, one will take one of two adept strategies. Either you'll be the good little boy or girl, compliant, submissive, or else you will be rebellious as hell. And then, very often, the rebel, the chief enjoyment of the rebel, will be disappointing other people. Even though they may deny that it's a conscious enjoyment, it's very much their intention to make sure you you end up disappointed in them and that you lost out by trusting them. And so the uh, autonomy-traumatized person will procrastinate, they'll sabotage projects and sabotage themselves, they will use passive aggression they will be hamlet types who will ruminate forever before being able to make a decision you know, to be or not to be Hmm, that's a tough one, you know Uh, so that kind of a thing so there'll be tremendous efforting and yet paralysis so that nothing ever is really accomplished it might seem to be accomplished but then in the end it turned out it was a dud it didn't work Uh, a disaster so one will will attempt to please others, but then if you actually do please others, you'll be resentful that they're happy and you're not. And so uh, one tends to uh, to to then either become uh, the the pleaser who is uh, is angry and hateful, or you will be the overt rebel and uh, and and not be. Uh, uh, able to to really function in an intersubjective project. And and one in this with this trauma will always feel pressured by the demands of other people. So they'll they'll never feel like they can be in peace. There's always uh, some demand that I either have to rebel against or give in to. And once this is internalized, of course, people will find themselves uh, creating situations like this, or provoking them, or deliberately entering into situations that'll produce that pressure. Anybody relate to this one? Okay. Keep it to yourself, I don't care. Four
2: for four.
1: What's that? Four for four? Okay. (laughs) And, and this can start very early. I, I think that someone who is born with a C-section very often will either become the one who gives in to Big Brother and never takes responsibility for their own life or they'll be a revel and they'll say, never again, you took away my autonomous right to be born when I wanted to be born and you did it because you wanted this? The hell with you. I'm never gonna follow orders, right? So it can start at the moment of birth.
2: Even if they don't know if that they, if they came out of a C-section,
1: Oh, they know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Infants are totally conscious, probably more conscious than adults are. Okay. So then the fifth vital need, of course, is love. But we're talking about real love here. And very few parents can give real love. They can give attention, they can give a kind of as-if love and care in which they imitate whatever they got. But they, they very often, if they were traumatized, their heart cannot really be open. And they'll even be envious of their own child for getting more love than they got. Uh, and so there, there will very often be a kind of uh, a false kind of sugar, sugary love. But it's it's really uh, uh, one of these fake sugars. Uh, what do they call these these things? What's one of the names of these saccharin or these these different names that they give to artificial sweeteners? Splenda. What's that? Splenda. Splenda. That's it. <laughs> Ah, I got a splendid kind of love for my mother, but, you know, it wasn't real, that's the only problem. Uh, so, uh, of course, one will foreclose, then, uh, loving relationships. Won't, one will not make oneself vulnerable to, to having to deal with artificial sweeteners again. And the conflict of course is, it hurts to open my heart, but it also hurts to keep it closed. <clears throat> and so people who weren't really loved uh, as as children uh, will be very sensitive to that. And because children are egocentric and narcissistic naturally, they will assume that they weren't loved because of some flaw that they have. And very often they will assume it's a physical flaw, and they will literally feel physically flawed. And maybe there is some physical flaw that they can focus on and say, ah, this is the reason, this is the cause of my pain. Uh, But it's usually, obviously, that's not the reason one didn't get love but one one will feel that no one can love me because of whatever the state of my body is, and uh, I'm unlovable. Uh, And and yet one will, uh, will tend to also try to be in denial because that creates too much shame to function. And so the way one will adeptly deal with it is that one will try to enter into love relationships but somehow always fail. You will either always get rejected or find yourself rejecting the other, they're just not good enough, Uh, there's some flaw in the other, or they will get rejected before the other finds their flaw so that they don't have to suffer from the rejection. So the, the basic intention is I'll never let anybody hurt me again. No, I'm not going to put up with uh, a false kind of love. And someone in this condition will generally then, uh, on the pride side, will base their self-esteem on their appearance and their competence and their image of, of, uh, of what they can do that they'll try to make larger than life. And so in their uh, actions, they'll be perfect, flawless. And they will prefer admiration to love. And, and that's what they're going to go for because love isn't real or worth anything anyway. And these people will focus relentlessly on self-improvement because they've always got to get better and better, uh, but never uh, to test how good they are in terms of uh, of a relationship of love. But everything is now a competition and one will have the highest standards possible and will tend to be self-righteous and judgmental about the other who doesn't meet their standards. And, uh, and so these will become driven people, high-energy, competitive, very successful, and yet very empty inside and unable to be vulnerable or uh, to be able to enter into a deep uh, connection of, of love that, uh, that, that brings growth and uh, the development of the psychological potentialities of one's being.
0: This one sounds uh, very similar, at least the like expressions, uh, to the the second
1: one. To the second one. Well, on the attunement level, you're not even getting to the point of uh, being able to enter into a love relationship. If you get uh, to number five, you're actually very functional. So uh, you you are you are able to uh, to relate to people. Uh, and to, to relate, uh, uh, let's say, to your position in uh, a social order but only uh, in terms of, uh, of getting the job done. So there, there can be more interdependence at the level of uh, coordination functionally but not a relationship of real love. Okay, Whereas the attunement doesn't even get you know, to that that level of of closeness to uh, to dare, uh, uh, even approaching that kind of a relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: With the loved one, um, wouldn't it be also true that that could also happen in the first relationship, you're young, 16 years old, you fall in love, and things go really wrong, and you get hurt, Come the same outcome, right?
1: Sure. But why did that happen is usually because in childhood it went really wrong, and you picked somebody who would go equally wrong with. So that you can
0: come back on the other side.
1: Yeah. I'm going to erase these top ones. Well, we can, the next two are kind of much easier, so let's just try to squeeze in six and seven. (laughs) (laughs) You can do it. I trust that you can do it. Write small. Six is meaning, okay? Where you you had a family that had no interest in, uh, in knowledge, in in having a meaningful life. They, they were chaotic, they, they were lawless. Uh, they were uh, uh, perhaps even criminal in a, in a real sense. Uh, but there was no uh, there was no, uh, order of a, of a meaningful kind that one could find uh, in life. And so one will tend then, <clears throat> uh, at least in adolescence, to foreclose the name of the father. If the father was a dictator, rather than uh, a, a true uh, lawgiver with legitimate authority, then one will foreclose uh, one's uh, uh, feeling that any authority is legitimate. And uh, including the, the, uh, the, the uh, capacity to think itself, and the capacity to, uh, uh, to accept whatever meanings the society gives one. So one ends up, uh, along with that, foreclosing hope that there will ever be meaning in life. Uh, it, one, one is in a, a, a despair of the absurdity of it all, the meaninglessness of life. And the conflict is that sanity is insane. Because you, you, you felt that you had a, a parents who were, who were sane, but there was no actual meaning to their lives. They were so superficial, or, or so uh, uh, petty, so trivial, uh, so concerned only with comforts and and not with any um, meaning beyond uh, just a good meal or a a vacation in a a spot that that was physically beautiful or prestigious or something. People were just living a, a meaningless life. Wasting their time, using their money just for enjoyments that had no growth potential to it. And so then one uh, at this level will either choose psychosis, in which one creates one's own hallucinatory meanings uh, and doesn't relate uh, to reality, or one becomes psychopathic or sociopathic in which one no longer cares about what society says is right or wrong and does what they want to do because their own desires and their own meaning uh, are, are the only thing that count and the hell with, uh, with anyone else's feelings or uh, their ideas of uh, what are, is right or wrong or meaningful because they don't mean anything to me since there was no meaning Uh, given to me, right?
0: Is that the adept strategy?
1: Yeah. Psychosis or psychopathy? Yeah. So these last two are actually more severe than the first five. And and they can, of course, lead to, as you see, uh, either a a very severe disorder uh, or uh, a severe... uh, relationship to life. Is that Like, a, a psychopath won't feel like they have a disorder. They can be extremely successful. In fact, the world is now being run by psychopaths. Okay? Uh, and, and they don't care, and they're meaningless, and they're in it for their own enjoyment, and, uh, and they can destroy the whole world if they want to. You know? They, they, there is no interest in the well being uh, or the meaningfulness of anything. Yeah.
2: So, can that term psychopathy uh, be used in a more colloquial sense? Like, someone may not be a serial killer, but to help the Sangha's
1: needs, I'm doing what I want kind sure. of action. Yeah, or that's right, or, or even, uh, you know. Uh, leave it at any point uh, and there's no loyalty to anybody and there's... because nothing is meaningful anyway uh, I can go wherever I want and, uh, and detach and uh, uh, be completely free of any ties to anyone Because yeah.
3: they have re- rejected all ties is mm-hmm. what you're saying,
1: Sure. social
3: realm. hmm Are they interdependent or... Could they manifest in, in
1: a different uh, order? Uh, yeah, you know, people uh, of this level will generally relate to others in, in the same state who uh, won't be so much interdependent as they will both be counterdependent together. And they may collude for a while to do something together that will, you know, take over a business or. Uh, or, or have some project where they will achieve uh, something that they both want, but then they'll separate. There's no loyalty to each other.
3: Thank you for that answer, but I was wondering, yeah, uh, between like the one, two, three, four, five.
1: Oh, uh, are these interdependent? Yeah, they, like I say, there are dominoes, and they they can uh, all end up uh, causing the the fall of every other one.
3: In, does this have to do, like, with karma? Could, you be, could that also be manifested as, as levels of ascension? That you get, like, on, on one lifetime, you accomplish one, or, or you always have to go through the whole spectrum in one lifetime? I,
1: I think it's more in this lifetime that all of these traumas are appearing for almost everyone and at least as, uh, as something they have to deal with. If one is not oneself a psychopath, one's going to have to deal with psychopaths and maybe even have the temptation to act like a psychopath, even if one uh, doesn't fully go there, because one recognizes that there is no meaning in the world today. And so it actually makes sense to adopt that kind of a strategy. right? Although, if your heart is open, you obviously wouldn't do that. But most people's hearts never get open because of these traumas. And no one's heart was ever open to them in a true way, so why should they care about anyone? Yeah. yeah two questions. Can one have fragments in each of these? Yeah, you can, indeed. And
3: uh, the neo-advaita type of personality, would that be the number
1: C? It could well be. You could, uh, I'm not saying that... It is necessary because you can be in a healthy state and obviously in non-duality. But if non-duality is a discourse that you're using for power or prestige or to not care about anybody because nothing exists, you know, there's only the, the absolute, then it's a way of avoiding relationship and meaning and all of that. So, yeah, it can be used that way. But anything can be used that way. Christianity can be used by that. Religion in general is a great tool for, uh, for using uh, uh, as an excuse to hate and demonize the other and find the other is a heathen and they don't mean anything. They can be converted by the sword or killed and they don't matter. They're, they are children of a lesser god, that kind of an attitude, right? So if we, well, I'm talking
3: for myself, may have fragments of these areas, The test is to find where is your dominant fragment, which one is the worst, because, I mean, so far, I have all my eyes on them,
1: so... Yeah, well, I mean, the first one of connection is probably the most uh, traumatizing. And uh, and if you can heal that, then you can usually heal the other dominoes. But if you've already chosen psychosis, then it's too late uh, to be able to heal anything else. And the other one, the final one, is, is consciousness itself. It's not just meaning, but uh, one, one will foreclose consciousness. So if you had parents who were uh, drug addicts or alcoholics and they were blacked out and you know, lying on the couch and, and they were like uh, spaced out all the time, or they were psychotic, Uh, then, uh, then you may uh, foreclose consciousness itself. uh, And, and thinking will be unbearable, it's unbearable to realize uh, how much pain there is in perceiving your parents, you know, lying there uh, as total uh, losers, unable to function. And, and uh, that pain Will make you not want to think, and not want to know, uh, not want to uh, uh, to be alive to uh, to your own consciousness, and uh, and your 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 uh, uh, unbearable conflict will be uh, between chaos and an oppressive uh, order, <clears throat> in which in which uh, you you are you are completely alone because there's nobody there for you at all. There is no mind containing you. Or there, there, or there is such neglect and such a lack of love and such a narcissistic uh, self-concern by the parents who aren't at all paying attention to the child, that the child may choose autism uh, as a way out. or themselves go into alcoholism and drug abuse or be a space cadet or they'll choose early onset dementia of some kind or become a vegetable, literally arranging that through an accident uh, of some kind or they'll commit suicide. That's one way to eliminate consciousness, at least within the, the bodily frame of reference. Yeah,
0: Sorry, They foreclose consciousness.
1: Mm-hmm. Foreclosed mind, if you want.
2: Mm-hmm. If a child is born of very poor parents, let so will say, as developmental for the child, but the child has surrogates.
1: Has what? Good surrogates. Surrogates, uh-huh. uh-huh. Um,
2: does that lessen...
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, it does, but it's still, the child knows, especially, like, let's say an adopted child, they know they were given away, and, and they will always have some uh, ambivalence toward the foster parents or the, the parents who adopted them, and and, uh, and, and a real uh, issue with the birth mother having rejected them, and whatever. And they won't know why, usually, uh, but they, they'll feel it. They'll always be conscious of it, even if they're not told they were adopted and that they... The parents pretend otherwise the child knows.
2: And fear of abandonment must be part of it. Oh,
1: yeah, of course. Sure. Yes. Okay, so uh, this is basically the, the, the kinds of uh, traumatic uh, distortions and uh, difficulties that almost everyone today uh, is suffering from.
0: Mm-hmm. Sorry, what was the last uh, adept strategy?
1: Well, uh, uh, either uh, uh, dementia, drug abuse, become a vegetable, autism, alcoholism, any of those. Space out, blank out. One could even put narcolepsy, if you want to relate this to Ramana. So how many here uh, relate to one or more of these traumas? Is there anybody who escapes? Uh, I, don't know, I don't I doubt it. Okay, well, that's the reality and that's why it's very difficult to uh, form a community these days, almost impossible. Or form a relationship at all. And, uh, and so it's like porcupines trying to get together. <laughs> and uh, everyone is afraid of uh, being rejected and so either they're going to go first or they're going to uh, make it impossible for anyone to get too close. Yeah, Nirgun.
2: It seems like, it is impossible to create a community but it seems like these seven vital needs are exactly what we're trying to address and heal here, each one of these, and bring us connection, achievement, trust. And, and build that uh, autonomy and love, and, and, and that's what we're
1: healing here. Yeah, that's it. That's the purpose. This is a healing community. And unless we face these things full-on, directly, uh, they won't be dealt with properly. And so everyone has to know, yeah, that's it. That's our purpose. And we, what we want is to be able to then t- use these dominoes for the upper death drive. Let's connect to our real self. Let's attune to the real self. Let's trust the self. Let's get the autonomy from the ego uh, into the soul and into the self. Let's live in divine love. Let's live in ultimate meaningfulness and supreme consciousness, right? So we want to take it as far as possible in the other direction. But first you got to heal this direction or you, you, you won't get out of the lower death drive. So yeah, that's uh, the impossible situation we're in. and That's the tug of war between the asuras and the devas. Right.
3: Does the ego have to have all these vital needs met in
1: order to let go? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But they can be met if one feels contained and loved and and attuned to. But still one will have to have the courage to feel all the pain that was repressed and somatized and projected. And that can take a long time before you feel safe enough to do that.
2: It's probably obvious, but I do feel, uh, drawing from Durga's comment, that, yes, uh, the ego today has all aspects of these, but perhaps,
1: question mark, one of them is one's Achilles heel. Like, that, that's, yeah. what, that's what I feel, is yes. exactly the one where the crack yeah. in the mind is, and, yes. and that is the one thing that
2: ends up, maybe after many years of real growth here, being what stops one from
1: liberation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Definitely. <clears throat> so, uh, the, the, the problems that one has to deal with then, uh, once one has been traumatized, is that the ego tends to follow a principle of conservation of pain. Uh, and conservation of love by loving your pain as if your pain were yourself. And so then you don't want to get rid of the pain, because now you're identified as pain. And so, uh, you, you uh, replicate it. And because the, uh, the ego, uh, it's too painful to feel how much pain you're actually in, you live in a state of unacknowledged heartbreak, for the most part, because you have to pretend that you're able to function. And so, by not acknowledging it, you never feel it, you never process it. Most people don't go to therapy. And if they go to therapy, it's usually to prove that the therapist is no good and they're just like my mother was, and, uh, uh, you know, I, that's it for therapy. And I beat the therapist at their game. I knew more than they did. And, and they'll quit as soon as they get close to their pain and, and blame the therapist for, uh, for blowing the therapy and traumatizing them again. So uh, it's very difficult to find a way out of this. And, uh, and the ego focuses on a designated issue and they become obsessed with that issue which pre- prevents them from seeing the more global situation of the trauma whether it's a particular symptom or a particular relationship, it's my wife, she's the problem, and if I could only you know, get in a better marriage, or if I could only, you know, my child, is, a, if, you know, I, they'll be totally concerned with that, or no, it's my, my leaky gut, or uh, it's my whatever it is, you know, but they'll, they'll focus on their designated issue and become totally obsessed with that and not see what's behind it. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Babel Principle, the Tower of Babel, where the ego uh, feels nobody else understands me. What's the point of talking about it? What's the point of even thinking and, and trying to uh, process it? Because uh, uh, nobody will get me anyway, and I don't get anybody else, and I don't want to deal with their problems. I can't handle my own. And, and so uh, there will be uh, no communication, really. Uh, with anyone else in a in a real way about any of this and the ego will uh, will focus on futile efforting uh, will will focus on trying to achieve something that will do nothing to help, help heal the pain and will 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 maybe compensate a little bit but will will just be a, a bandaid and then of course there's always the vulcan's victory of uh, avoiding happiness, proving I'm a Stoic, I can suffer more than anyone else, and, uh, and that kind of, uh, of an attitude that then keeps one from even wanting to, uh, to, to reach a, a state where happiness is possible. And of course the, the winning ego's losing plan is I will do rather than be. And so once you choose a life of being a doer rather than a human being, as a famous cliché now, then uh, one forecloses the, the level of one's own consciousness in which the traumas are held and they're never, uh, uh, they're never dealt with. And, and for most egos, uh, their attitude is, uh, once I, I leave a relationship that has failed, Never go back, never reconcile, never figure out what went wrong and whose projections were whose and, and, and what actually happened. And just leave more and more strands of the knot in everywhere and leave a trail of desolation of failed relationships behind you and, uh, and, and failed jobs and professions and uh, whatever you were engaged in. Uh, and. Uh, and and always, uh, you know, find a way to escape your situation into another and then repeat the same thing in the next version or phase of your life. So that's that's what creates all the difficulties in healing and in trying to create a community that becomes a superorganism. We have to, to get beyond these traumas and to, uh, and to do that, we have to feel them, we have to be able to process them, we have to admit them, recognize them, and, and have the courage to, uh, to work ourselves free of them. And so that's basically what all of, uh, of our work here in this community is about. The sessions, the retreats, the information, the classes, the meditation, uh, the seva, Everything that we do is to help heal by dealing with all of these traumas head on and forcing ourselves to become interdependent and intersubjective and interrelational. And it hurts and it's difficult, and people want to run away. Uh, but uh, the ones who stay are the ones who realize that the, the, their only chance actually is to deal with this. In a community where at least this is put out on the table, and uh, and we can talk about it and uh, have some skills in uh, in working through it together as a family, unlike the original family, which didn't deal with it.
0: Thank you for listening to the spiritual teachings with Shunya Murti Podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website